If you enjoy these podcasts, check out Enrico Signoretti's reports and blogs on gigaohm.com. They're about data storage and cloud computing, addressing all the topics covered in Voices in Data Storage. Welcome everybody, I'm your host Enrico Signoretti and this is Voices in Data Storage brought to you by Gigaum. In this episode we will talk again about how data storage is dramatically evolved in the last few years and how data management is becoming more and more important for organizations of all sizes. Today I'll be joined by Avinash Lakshman, CEO and co-founder of Edvig, a Silicon Valley startup with a software-defined and scale-out storage solution. Before founding Edvig, Avinash was at Amazon and Facebook, where he designed large-scale systems like Cassandra and DynamoDB. His experience will help us to dig a little bit deeper in the relationship between data storage and data management. Hi, Avinash. How are you? Good, and uh, thanks a lot for uh, taking the time to talk to me, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, Although, regarding the introduction, I had one small correction. Although I'm flattered when you associate my name with DynamoDB, I had nothing to do with DynamoDB. My my co-creation was with Dynamo, which preceded DynamoDB. Okay, very well then. In a recent paper that I wrote for Gigam, I separated storage system functionality in three categories, table stakes, critical capabilities, and uh, near-term game-changing technology. Table stakes is the set of functionality that people keep for granted, including data protection, snapshot, remote application, and so on. While the critical capabilities are those that really make an impact in terms of TCO, flexibility, etc., like analytics or integration with the cloud, for example. What are the features of storage system that really make a difference in your opinion, Avinash? That's actually a fantastic question. In fact, uh, when you talk about table stakes, Uh, You talk about snapshots and remote replication, but I think in this day and age, uh, replication has become a lot more sophisticated than what people were used to seeing with uh, traditional storage systems. For instance, uh, if you were to take remote replication, uh, typically driven by either a separate entity uh, that sits on top of the traditional array and does the replication, and it's very cumbersome to set up. It's point-to-point. It's, for the most part, unidirectional. If there is any configurational issues that happens, it becomes a nightmare to track down and to debug. And it also increases a lot of clutter in the data center. More modern systems have taken a very different look at how replication could be done. In fact, uh, given that we are getting into an era of, uh, you know, where... Uh, we, we are in a global economy, but the data governance, data sovereignty laws are all local. So you, you have entered an era where applications mandate the geographical boundaries within which the data ought to reside. So what I believe is required from a replication standpoint is the ability for one to be able to declaratively pose the question or, or expect from an underlying infrastructure that for my application, I want its data to be replicated across regions ABC. And it's up to the infrastructure to actually live up to that. And that kind of paradigm uh, never existed before. And it is becoming more and more uh, a necessity to deliver these kind of capabilities. 
that's about remote replication. And regarding snapshots too, I think now uh, for protection against things like ransomware, which are becoming rampant and every enterprise is looking at that, having a very, very sophisticated snapshotting capability becomes key. So although snapshotting, like you said, is stable stakes, but the requirements have become a lot more sophisticated than what people are used to seeing. Uh, that's my take on it. When you look at the other side, which is what you call um, critical capabilities, uh, you're very right in terms of TCO and flexibility. Uh, the key is not just CapEx, but the key is to drive and or increase operational efficiency. And that is what's going to give modern enterprises a maximum bang for the buck. And we can talk more about that as we continue. Yeah, so your take on, uh, you know, uh, remote replication and snapshots is, re is really interesting. Are, are you talking about a sort of policy engine? So user-defined policies more than rules to, do, to, to make it real. So not static rules, but actually more declarative. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about. In fact, um, if you look uh, at computer science in general, Anytime there has been a major primitive that made its way into, uh, into IT or into systems, it first starts out by being a programmatic function. And then over time, uh, you make it so simple that you make it declarative in nature. The biggest example of that is transactions. When transactions were first introduced, system developers were forced to program transactions for different apps. But over time, the way it evolved is transactions got buried into the runtime and uh, application developers had to just state in their code. You have to just annotate a piece of code that says this should be part of a new transaction or part of an existing transaction. And the runtime would respect that. I think the same analogy has to be applied to remote replication, especially given the data governance laws that exist today. So for instance, one should be able to do things like, okay, I have this application X that's going to run on this data infrastructure Y, but I want my data to be replicated across regions A, B, C. The underlying infrastructure must be able to adhere to those policies. You could have a totally different application that has a totally different replication set. Again, mandated by some kind of a governance law. Uh, it could you could say I have this application that should be replicated across regions uh, X Y Z, and again the infrastructure should be able to adhere to those policies. So it's more policy driven and it is extremely dynamic in nature, and it is done at an application level granularity. You talks about region that region usually is associated with cloud providers. Uh, do you? Uh, also no, I use that... that term. I use that term very loosely. Uh, so, the way you want to map what typical enterprises, when you have different physical sites, they would say it's a you you need multi-site replication capability. When you go to a cloud provider, you should think of each region as a different site. So the, it's it's just a different term. But what what is needed is multi-site replication capabilities naturally provided through the infrastructure. Got it. Yes, and uh, if you think about uh, 
uh, data management, more in general. I mean, they, they, this uh, sounds, uh, you know, again, not just uh, data services as we uh, always uh, thought about this uh, re replication of Snapchat, but it becomes more data management, okay? So you think about data, where it should be uh, stored, uh, and other things like retention probably comes into play in this thing. So everything that uh, defines the policy is of help to manage data and uh, its uh, placement and so on. So, uh, but, but at the same time, uh, data management has different meaning for different people. And at, at least also in this case, you know, we, we talk about uh, um, snapshot, but actually also automated tiering, for example, is another data management uh, uh, feature. So you, uh, you have the ability to decide where to put your data, uh, if in a cheaper storage that is uh, less accessible, meaning, meaning with more latency, for example. But it, it, it has anything to do with compliance or uh, something like that. In, in, you have a broad experience both with storage and databases. So what does it mean data management for you? Or, or better, what does it mean for, for you in the context of data storage? Uh, that's a very good question, but it's, 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 you're very right. It's a very broadly and very loosely used term uh, of which some of the things that you talked about are applicable. For instance, uh, if you want to tier the data for performance reasons, uh, perhaps between uh, hard disk drives or spinning media and uh, of some form of uh, SSDs, I mean, nowadays, uh, SSD is also a term that is very loosely used. I mean, you have PCIe devices, NVMe, what have you. But uh, being able to move the data uh, unbeknownst to the application between spinning media and these kind of more uh, uh, performant media uh, could be perceived as data management, and it's the job of the infrastructure to do so. Uh, in addition to that, when you are looking at systems like perhaps the one that is from Hedwig, uh, anything that is implicitly scale out and runs uh, designed to run across, you know, uh, hundreds or even thousands of nodes, uh, you also want to take care of things like when you, when one creates a volume out of the system and says, "I want it replicated three ways," uh, having the capability to make sure uh, that the system is always going to try to honor to have three copies of the data uh, in the system. Uh, you know, this this also includes uh, in the event of, you know, hardware failures or disk failures or network failures or complete site outages, et cetera, et cetera, could also be deemed uh, data management. Uh, when you have a largely distributed cluster, uh, when you when one wants more horsepower or more capacity, you typically roll in uh, a rack of servers with, with uh, some software on it to do the management. And the ability to be able to rebalance the data in order to take advantage of this newer um, real estate that is now available could also be deemed data management. So this is just some of the uh, things that we believe uh, should come under the umbrella of data management. Uh, just to take Edvig as an example, you offer several protocols to access data on, on your system, if I both object files and, uh, and blocks. Different applications, of course, are serving, uh, are uh, taking advantage of this capability, but actually they, they manage data differently uh, from each other. You know, especially objects, they have this rich uh, um, metadata that is associated to each single entity that you store in, in the file. So that it enables searching and uh, also augmentation of the data itself and so on. 
uh, how all of this pans out with the uh, with the organization of the company. I mean, do they take advantage uh, of these functionalities right now? Is it still uh, on the application side of things, uh, or, or is the storage becoming more, you know, uh, core for this uh, this kind of things? No, that's a fantastic question. And if you remember when I spoke about um, operational efficiency, I think uh, this is a very key aspect of that too. Uh, if you look at the larger internet companies, I'm talking about companies like Amazon, Google, Facebook, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Even the larger cloud or cloud providers like even uh, MS Azure or, uh, you know, they. how do you think they have solved the data deluge problem. They do so by, by standardizing on an infrastructure. If you go into these companies, 90% of the applications that, that developers internally build runs right out of the bat on an infrastructure as a service that's been built out for them. Now, I believe that is the key to achieving operational efficiency. The way you want to deliver that is you want to have one single platform on which one can get complete protocol consolidation. You need to be able to create quote-unquote virtual disks or quote-unquote volumes, which applications should be able to consume either as a block device or as an NFS or SMB share or as an S3 bucket. Now, the, one of the key tenets to achieving that is to have a very rich metadata subsystem as part of your platform. Now, that's where we believe uh, you know, most of the hard work comes into play. And different protocols have different metadata needs. And knowing how to uh, lay that out into a singular metadata subsystem uh, is where uh, all the IP goes into. And delivering this enables the following for the enterprise. If you look at how they have typically been looking at uh, uh, storage or data management is they talk to a set of vendors for their SAN needs. They talk to a totally different vendor for their NAS needs. They're all trying to figure out what their object storage uh, you know, initiatives need to look like. As you know, in this day and age, there's been tremendous uh, uh, disruption happening even in the secondary storage market. Um, where backup targets are being uh, completely, th traditional backup targets are being thrown out and newer ones are coming in. Now, you don't want to go from one set of silos to a totally different set of newer silos. The way you can drive operational efficiency is if one could provide one system that can lend itself to all these different workloads, either by changing hardware skew or policies in the system, that would be the best place to be in. Now, since you said Hedwig, we believe Hedwig is the only platform that exists today that can deliver that capability right out of the box. And it's not just that. We have customers who start in one area and automatically see the capabilities and push us into other areas which, are, which traditionally wasn't the case. So standardizing on an infrastructure is a key to achieving operational efficiency. Yeah, you're talking about uh, a storage infrastructure instead of storage system. This is a concept that I really love uh, in the sense that uh, uh, I usually associate this large infrastructure that I can 
can serve multiple workloads at the same time, uh, as well as, you know, multiple protocols and so on. And, uh, you know, it's just easier to manage. And, uh, and it is very good at scale. But actually, I have uh, a, a few concerns for this kind of, uh, even if it's a scale out, and theoretically, you can start small. The economics for small organizations, uh, maybe with a scale out system uh, that can do a little bit of everything, could be a problem. And at the same time, quality of service comes into play, which is very important. Uh, I couldn't agree more. In fact, when we see, that's why you, you never want to go and tell any, if you tell any large enterprise or even medium to large enterprises, you never go in and tell them, rip out everything, throw it away and use this new one. That's, that's the wrong approach. You start with a particular kind of a use case, which could be, which, you know, any vendor knows can be a perfect fit for them. It could be a big bang for the buck for them and for the customer. Once you're able to go in there, showcase the capabilities. In our experience, what we have seen is they automatically realize that this has a lot more capabilities and could be used in a lot more areas. We have also always been met with this doubt. Oh, you know, what you're saying seems to be too good, is too good to be true. But there is only one way to address that problem. Try it. Try it in one for one use case, and then you will see the value. And we have done that with some really, really large enterprises that are now putting petabytes of data on us. And they're, once they see the value in one arena, they've automatically started pulling us into other areas. For example, for a large, I can't mention the company, but for a large aviation company, we now power the infrastructure for their entire internal cloud. They have their applications virtualized on perhaps every hypervisor that's out there in the market, including containers. And now they've also started using us for object storage and for big data lakes. It need not be the same physical cluster. You could have multiple clusters for multiple needs. But the key is the way you operate and manage these environments is the same because you need to train your folks on just one system. And that's where the beauty comes in. Sorry if I played a evil advocate here, but, but, but there are a couple of more questions that comes up. One is, okay, so you have this credible infrastructure that can do all the protocols and I'm good with it. But actually... Even if I think about uh, object storage and containers, okay, it's like uh, night and day with containers that you need data for maybe sometimes seconds. Okay, you need a very fast pace to uh, generate a new new volumes for these containers. Then you have to destroy them um, almost instantly a few a few seconds or minutes later. While object storage store data forever, so. They are quite incompatible if I think about the workload, if I think about the infrastructure underneath, okay? How do you solve the, these kind of problems? Meaning, That's a very good question. Let, let, me, let me answer that. It's going to be a long-winded answer, but you will get what you, what you are looking for. When you're looking for something that is performant, you will need, and I'm going to keep it high level so that we don't get uh, caught up in the weeds. Now, if you, if you remember, I had mentioned about data and the metadata associated with it, and all this put together is what delivers to you a, a system, right? If you're looking for a 
performant environment, let's say you were running VMs or containers on top of a system X. Now for that, you would, you would want to have a cluster setup where perhaps you have uh, SSDs in place, where auto tiering of data happens, where data moves from perhaps a hard, hard disk layer into SSDs and out of it uh, without uh, unbeknownst to the application. Maybe you want your metadata to be pinned only on SSDs um, and you will probably use replication as a means of data protection as opposed to erasure coding and things like that. Now, if you look at object storage, it's typically a write once, read many kind of an environment. Uh, typically, you, 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 you need a reasonable ingest, not that many reads perhaps. And for that, what you could do is you could keep your metadata also on hard disk drives. You probably don't need any kind of auto tearing of data. Instead of using replication, you could probably just use erasure coding because people typically put data there for durability rather than for uh, you know, performance. So you could do 4.2 erasure coding or 8.2, 8.3, what have you. Uh, there again, the reads are going to become reasonably expensive because anytime you use erasure coding in a distributed system, you will always have to read from n number of different nodes to put the data back together. Uh, that's where CDNs, et cetera, come to, uh, come to help out a lot if it is in a large setting, or perhaps you need some kind of caching if you want some kind of a reasonable read response rate. But uh, those are all, the, that's why I mentioned, you, it's, it's change of skew in the hardware and change of policy. These are the two things that you typically need to look at you know, while you're catering your infrastructure to the needs of the application. Does that make sense? Ah, totally, totally. So uh, somehow you're, you're talking about building storage profile depending on the application and depending on the use cases. And then... Exactly. That's why you need to have, you need to be able to have this capability uh, when you create these volumes, you want to have some kind of a notion of what the app is going to look like and how it is going to consume you. It's kind of application-aware infrastructure that becomes very key in order to deliver these kind of capabilities. Well, that, that's uh, um, interesting because somehow to manage all this complexity, you need uh, two other things, I mean. One is uh, analytics, because without analytics, uh, you, you, you can get a, a grasp of what is actually happening in the backend or... Uh, uh, how the system is performing, if there is something wrong or not. I, I, and on the other side, there, you need automation. I mean, uh, API, because some of these systems really need uh, uh, to be automated. Uh, I think about Kubernetes, for example, okay. But, but, uh, but there are a lot of other things that in a large infrastructure you need to automate. You know, the, the ratio between the number of administrators per petabyte it's uh, you, you can keep it down with this with these kind of things. Absolutely. I mean, the moment you say software defined, you need to have complete programmable capabilities for both data and control plane. And again, it's that programmability on the control plane. That's what helps uh, systems like Hedwig to integrate into vSphere to integrate into OpenStack, to integrate into Kubernetes, to integrate into uh, Mesosphere, uh, what have you, and uh, allow, and in fact, the entire product is deployable via Ansible. So if anyone wants to take what we have and tie it into a broader application framework and be able to automate deployments, they can drive the whole thing through Ansible 
And since every API that we consume internally in the system is exposable also via REST-based APIs, especially for control plane, you can, you can build your own orchestration around the entire product. And th without that, it's a non-starter. Because if you think about the cloud, you go in there and you click a few buttons and everything is configured and provisioned for you. It's the same kind of semantics that these kind of systems have to bring to the table. And that's exactly what we strive to do. Do, do you think also uh, that um, integration between a system like yours, for example, and the cloud is important? I mean, I, I, I meet a lot of companies that are already in the hybrid stage of their cloud life, and they are evolving to uh, some sort of multi-cloud, meaning that, uh, the, that the hybrid cloud remains one of the subset, one of the cases that they are uh, experiencing, but actually it's becoming not uh, only on-premises to a single cloud, but on-premises and uh, multiple clouds. Uh, Absolutely. I think the lines between on-prem and any cloud provider are blurred at this point. In fact, even if you, I think even the lines between hybrid and multi-cloud should be blurred. And we become more relevant in cloud environments uh, because if you look at cloud environments in general, you can pick your any favorite. If you look at the fundamental storage primitives that they provide you, uh, none of them provide any fault tolerance across availability zones or across regions, or forget across clouds that doesn't even exist, right? Uh, because there is no incentive for them to provide that capability. You One could deploy a Hedwig system that spans multiple regions of AWS and multiple regions of Azure and treat it like a single pane of glass that is available to the consumer and be able to replicate data across regions, not only within AWS, but also across AWS and Azure. In fact, the new uh, there is a big push towards what is called, uh, and there is a, there's also a new, new phrase that has been coined in the industry now. It's called cloud adjacency is the new on-prem. So when you have folks in uh, co-location facilities provided by, say, an Equinix, you are a millisecond or two away from any of the cloud providers. Now, all of a sudden, deploying a fabric that spans on-prem and any of these cloud providers with a system like ours becomes a reality. And you could use it like as if you were using an on-prem environment without even being hit by the laws of physics when it comes to uh, latency from going, going from on-prem to any of the cloud providers. So we make this even more relevant in those environments. Yeah, so somehow you, you are, with this kind of approach, um, you avoid to create uh, cloud silos, meaning uh, uh, creating small data repositories that are accessed by single or few applications in a single cloud, which is a scenario that we saw in the past in the you know traditional IT. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's exactly what we, we we liberate applications and make them more mobile to be able to move the app alone from one region to another or from one cloud provider to another without being forced to pull the data along with the app. If you have set up the replication policies in the appropriate way using a system like Hedwig, application mobility becomes just point and click like semantics. It's, it'll become very, very easy for one to realize that. Yes, and again, 
you know, many many of these companies start with uh, simple use cases like disaster recovery. Not that disaster recovery is simple, but actually, you know, it's simple from replicating data to to another location and have it ready. Now with uh, all the tools that we have on the upper layers, tr- uh, transporting an application from one cloud to another is becoming easier and easier. And while you know data is gravity, and it and if you don't think about it uh, early in the you know deployment stage of your infrastructure, that becomes a huge issue later. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Avinash, this was a great conversation, I think, and uh, I hope that we will be able to continue this online. So why don't you provide us uh, uh, Twitter accounts for your company and maybe yours if you have one, uh, just that we can, uh, our audience can uh, ask questions if, uh, if they want to, to know more. Oh, so please uh, send the questions over to Hedwig Inc. at Hedwig Inc. or at Hedwig Eng. And uh, we'll be more than happy to take any questions and see how we can help you out. Great. And uh, just to wrap up the episode, what is the uh, website for uh, Hedwig? It's Hedwig.io. That's great. Avinash, that was a great chat again. Uh, thank you for your time today. And uh, I hope that uh, we will uh, keep the conversation going online. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Enrico. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices and Data Storage, please check out the other ones. Key criteria for evaluating enterprise storage is the focus of a new series of reports Enrico wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about how data storage is evolving in the cloud era, download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research. For future forward advice on data-driven technologies, operations, and business strategies.